0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back.
1: It's Jacqueline and Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow for you guys. What up, Black and Yellow Nation? Welcome to another episode. We're almost done with Ohm October, but to be honest... I haven't felt very own this month with (laughs) with like the fucked up state of our government leading up to this election and the fact that women might lose their reproductive rights uh, if Amy Coney Barrett is elected to the Supreme Court, which full disclosure, we are recording this exactly one week before the vote for Amy is cast. So by the time this episode comes out, she might actually be a Supreme Court justice. Cross your fingers and all toes and hope that that's not the case. Mm. But um, yeah, this month of wellness has me shook to be super real with you, and I kind of can't wait for November, even though that is going to have its own landmines. Um, But today's guest is, I think, going to calm our nerves a little bit. (sighs) She's so rad, and we can't wait for her to talk to you guys.
0: Yes, absolutely. Our next guest is incredible and all around amazing and funny and and like lana said uh yeah this this whole like October in Los Angeles, it's been like it was like a little bit cold and now it's hot again. And so it just feels all around a little off, like it should be fall, but it's still summer. Um, it COVID should be over, but it's not. Um, you know, the government should be this, but it's not. So it, it, I agree. It, it, it's ironic that we have an ohm October, but it hasn't been feeling very ohm like all the more reason (laughs) to do a wellness month to really remember to keep up with our self-care um you know to to not lose control or to get too crazy about the things we can't control um and just take deep breaths because life will keep moving on regardless of who's president
1: I'm snapping to everything you're saying, snapping finally so that it doesn't mess with the sound. But yes, I'm here for all of that. Um, Okay, well, let's try and get some some wellness vibes, shall we? I don't know if it's Mm going to be successful, but let's try. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kick off today's episode by sharing a story that inspired today's topic. So last year, I did a photo shoot for a fitness sunglass line that I love. I use every day. Shout out to Gooder. We love you guys. Ooh. Carrie and the crew. And the shoot was in a national park. And up until that point, meaning up until the photo shoot, uh, I had never been to a national park. And I realized that in hindsight on the drive home. And while the photo shoot was a success and a ton of fun, as they always are, I couldn't shake two very specific nagging feelings. Feeling number one, stay close to the crew because you don't belong out here. Even though we were in California, even though I was physically safe the entire time and no one made me uncomfortable whatsoever, and even though I was only a six to eight hour drive back home to Los Angeles, it felt like a whole ass world away from anything I had ever known. And there was something about that feeling that nagged me and I just couldn't shake it. Feeling number two was I kept hearing a rolling loop of stereotypes about black people and nature that I hadn't heard that I that I had heard my entire life and couldn't get out of my head. Stereotypes like black people don't camp. Black people don't hike. Black people don't bungee jump for obvious reasons. Black people hate cold weather and skiing and winter sports. We don't do that kind of thing. Um, And as a quick side note, like cold weather sports and winter sport culture has always been over my head. And I very much attribute that to this uh, stereotype. So basically, I've lived my entire life, my entire black and bougie life, uh, being bombarded with this messaging that tells me that black people don't do nature in essence. Jay. Are there any stereotypes like this that exist in Asian culture? I know that you're the resident naturalista. I know that you commune with nature. You are one with it. You grow your food. You've got a plant-based food business. Like, I get that. But in terms of being in nature, like, are there, do those stereotypes exist in Asian culture? Um, I do think, yes, partly,
0: um... You know, I think we talked a little bit about this on our show with Michelle Canyon. Oh, yeah. um, About how generally, you know, Asian cultures do not always value physical activity as much as academia or music or something that is going to further your career or further your, your, your education, right? Um, which could contribute to stereotypes like not being very physical and not enjoying nature or, or feeling connected to nature. However, I think I am in alignment with our guest that we have today for you guys, because I grew up extremely physical, I snowboard, I swim, I hike. Um, and I think I attribute that again to my family. My mom was always very outdoorsy. Um, she would make us run all the time, just like on weekends. Um, and I'm not like she's like not she's not like whipping me into running. But, you know, she would she would gather her kids and be like, Hey, let's go on a run, you know? And and if you don't if you didn't have that growing up, then you probably didn't enjoy running as much right i don't know um so yes and no like I, i like you said i think those those stereotypes do exist and then they could like for you mean that maybe you grew up a certain way not not thinking that that was something that that you could do or wanted to do even. Right. Right. Um, But I was exposed to snowboarding really, really young with my cousin. And I loved it. I fell in love with snowboarding. Um, Mm. And despite all the ickiness and the pain and the cold (laughs) and the sweat, um, to me, it is one of the most exhilarating sports in the world. Um, Mm. So yeah, like once you get to the top of the mountain, there is nothing like it. And when you're coming down a mountain alone, and it's the, the snow is fluffy. Like, Similarly to what our guests will probably share today, it is it is blissful. It is like you're like it's like you're in heaven. There's nothing else you can describe. But just like being at the depths of the ocean, um my mom and I scuba dived for a while, and it was like n- nothing I had ever seen before. It was mind blowing to see the ocean in that way. So I think it's like I w- and I hated it. Like it was cold. <laughs> um, was, like people were throwing up. You're seasick, but the moment you get under the water, you're like Oh this is why I do this. So, you know, it is that kind of like like push and pull of of weathering um the the way to get there or the gear or everything. But when you can have that moment, I think it it is it is worth it. And I think that's why people do it. And then after a while, you just get used to it. It's just like, like running a half marathon, you just get used to the training, you just get used to the the distance, you slowly work yourself up there. Um. So yeah, I do believe that definitely exists in Asian culture. I know so many Asians that don't like the sun, don't like the beach, mm-hmm. don't like the tan, um, are afraid of the water, don't do any of that stuff. And then, and then I know it's the has
1: been the complete opposite with me. So there you go <laughs> two things wait you didn't mention that you ice skated growing up I'm only mentioning that because of oh, your yes. friendship with Mariah you know an olympic sk- uh an olympic ice skater just, so I just have to put
0: olympic, that out there yeah just an olympic medalist you know yeah that too yeah my mom put us in ice skating when I was six and I ice skated till nine or ten and like and I skated in the way of becoming professional so we would wake up at five in the morning um, before, before school, every morning for three or four years, and we would skate in the rink for two and a half hours. And then we would lug all our gear back in the car, and then we would change, and then in the car, and probably like eat something quick, and then we would go to school. Um, for, for, yeah, like for Ooh. most of my, my grade school, that was it. So I guess,
1: yeah, I guess it's just been in my bones since I was a young girl, but for sure. I also, mm-hmm. when you were talking about being on the top of a mountain about to skate down, I felt like I was in your body and I could hear that excited Jackie squeal, like right before you go <laughs> down a mountain. <laughs> um, yeah. but I'm saying that cause like, I'm insanely jealous of the fact that you have this connection that I in no way shape or form can relate to. Right. Did your family camp at
0: all? See, that's one thing I wish I did more of. Got it. Um, no, we did not camp. And the first time I actually camped was with an an ex a long, long time ago. And like, again, it was it was I was like, oh bugs. And I felt like such a city girl. I was like <laughs> I was like I was like that. That that evil girlfriend in um in the Lindsay Lohan movie. What's that um Parent trap. Oh um, God. I felt like I felt like her and I'd be like, ah, there's bugs in my hair or like there's no shower. And, you know, because it is pretty terrifying to just all of a sudden, like you're ripped out of normal society in a way. You don't have mm-hmm. a, a toilet unless you're glamping. Um, You don't have a toilet. You don't have a shower, you know, and I was like, well, what would you end the like? And anyway, so I, I went with it. I was like, don't be a pussy. Just go with it. Um, And I I loved it. I was like, why didn't I ever before I'm dirty and I smell like I smell like forest and fire, but I love that smell. So, you know, it just it's just yeah, it's just like a learning experience every time. Just gotta roll with it. <laughs> as uncomfortable <laughs> as you may feel.
1: No, totally. I mean, yeah, not only do black people not camp, my father made it very clear. Uh camping is too much manual labor, and on my it vacation is. time, I do not choose to go and do more work and eat subpar food. K, okay, thanks bye. <laughs> right, um, right. So so all of this nature talk said it made me want to do an episode focusing on the stereotype of why black people don't camp, mainly because any conversation about wellness generally mentions getting out into nature, communing with the great outdoors, you know, uh, common phrases like getting some fresh air in your lungs, feeling the cool breeze on your skin, take a plunge into a body of water, work up a sweat outside, bask in the warm sunlight, take in a sunset, all of those getting outdoorsy with it things that often come with wellness. um, It's generally recommended as an all natural form of medicine that is free to everyone and that in theory should be accessible. Right. But let's be real. White people love the label Outdoorsy. They wear it like a badge of honor. And the outdoors have primarily always been one thing to white people. Great. They have always welcomed, they've always been welcomed in nature in a way that Black people have not or have not been made to feel comfortable in. So, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the great outdoors and why they haven't always been so great to Black people. But first, let's put our money where our mouth is.
0: Woohoo! all righty guys so for those of you guys who are back for our episodes our first time listeners you know that our put our money In where your mouth is segment is where we celebrate businesses, female, Black, Asian-owned businesses, local. Um, it's our way of economic protests, and it's our way to keep sharing, keep passing on this information so you guys can get it and then also put your money where our mouth is. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Alana, what you got today?
1: Okay, so in the theme of camping, I figure there's got to be a Black-owned camping product company. There is. It seems as though there's only one. It's called Serious Innovation. It's owned by Mike Carey, and it's a Black-owned outdoor performance gear brand. So Sirius is a company that manufactures ski and snowboard gloves, face protection, hunting gear, hot weather gear, and other cold weather accessories. And their mission is to deliver the best products to enable all outdoor enthusiasts to do amazing stuff outside in the great outdoors to reach their potential outside. And their mantra is to foster a culture where commitment to excellence in product innovation Quality and customer service permeates all that they do. So, just as it says, you need some warm weather gloves, they got you. You need something for your head perhaps a balaclava mask i have no idea what that is but you outdoorsy types probably do they've got it all for you and their stuff is super cute because it's black owned a lot of their pattern stuff can have a slightly african themed vibe Mm. or their stuff is just really brightly colored i don't know if that's common in cold weather clothes or like ski clothes but yeah so you can stand out so you're not like lost in the uh, snow or in the dark see jackie naturalista you got it um serious innovation check them out they don't have an instagram uh but www.serious that's dot com is their website and i will drop it into show notes all right jay what you got um that makes me th- thank you for
0: come that's a great idea i should have looked into an agent-owned um outdoorsy type but but that will be for my next episode.
1: I was going to say it was always next time.
0: Yes, exactly. So I, this happened as I was looking for stuff for myself, but um, I wanted to spotlight no talks life, like no toxic life. Um, No talks life was born from the desire to create, provide effective vegan body and home care to help you live a cleaner, greener lifestyle. Um, They're local, they're family run, they're, mom and daughter female run. We business. know how you like that. I sure do. Um, that is one of my firm beliefs of, of you know, of supporting these family owned, especially female owned businesses, um, because I have one myself. Um, and I know how much hard work it takes. And <laughs> yes. um, we need all the love and we can get. Um, So each product is made using high-quality, effective ingredients. It's um, a mom, Sandy, and daughter, Callie. Um, Their products are made with um, plant-derived ingredients. Um, And it all started with the mom. um, Sandy was at a... at a grocery store and she was like, I need some shampoos. And she picked it up and she looked at the ingredients and she noticed that everything was extremely harsh. Um, and she's not for herself, similar to probably what my mom thinks about food all the time. You know, she looked at the shampoo bottle and she was like, I can make this. So she went home and threw Thousands and thousands and thousands of countless hours of research, math, and getting the recipe right and testing. Um, they um, started making soap and other bath and body products. Um, so now they have some cosmetics and they have some kitchen stuff like a, a kitchen dish and laundry and all that stuff, um, dish soap. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a certified women-owned small business, um, and the daughter, uh, Callie, designs and formulates the new products. Um, she directs the look of the brand, as well as managing sales um, in hundreds of independent grocery stores, um, zero-waste stores, and lifestyle stores carrying the line. So good for them. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, it's pretty awesome what they've been able to do. Um, they started in 2013, so it's been almost a decade for them. So good on that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, you and I both have experience with this brand. Um, you use their home stuff. They have a kick ass non-toxic deodorant that I have been using for years now it is awesome and it doesn't give you that weird um like baking soda burn that sometimes some people do yeah Yeah. like when you go from the fake stuff to the natural stuff that can happen it doesn't and it works like it truly works not like there's like a lingering low-key funk sort of situation right um and if you are a California listener Back when the pandemic was behind us, they do also do festivals, Jackalope Festival in Pasadena and Burbank. I think they do Unique L.A. so you can check them out as well in person if you're in California uh, once the pandemic is over. Mm -hmm. all right Um, yeah so
0: you you can find their products online and then oh just real quick they also do wholesale so (gasps) oh i didn't know that yeah if you wanted to like get anything like bulk or you know obviously different pricing um they do wholesale um and then i I know they're expanding they have toothpaste toothbrush um floss
1: all that stuff so get all your goodies and then go camping yeah i was gonna say like do your winter sports stuff stock up on all the accessories and then once you come home or once you're Après ski is that a thing? Yes, that's after ski, right? I think that's oh yeah, in French, yeah. That is it all. As much as I know about winter sport culture, is après ski uh, <sighs> clean off with some vegan products? Uh, I'll drop links to all of this in the show notes, and let's get to our guest intro because she is awesome. So Latrea Graham is a journalist and fifth generation South Carolina farmer. Her Ooh. work stands at the intersection of food. Social justice and southern culture. She writes long-form pieces about everything from NASCAR from farming to NASCAR. She's a graduate of Dartmouth College and later earned her MFA in creative nonfiction from the New School in New York City. She's a three-time best American sports writing notable for her stories on athletes in places of tension, primarily standing rock. And Flint. She received a bronze level case award for her reporting on immigration policy that stemmed from 2017's Executive Order 13769, often referred to as the travel ban. A Steve Kemp writer in residence
0: for Great Smoky Mountains National Park, her project for the year focused on the lives of enslaved African Americans on the Tennessee side of the park. Her work has appeared in Oxford American, Outside, Bicycling, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the NYT, LA Times, The Guardian, ESPNW, Southern Living, I've taken many breaths because there's so many, because she's so amazing, and Garden and Gun. (laughs) Latreya, welcome. We are thrilled to have you on the Black and Yellow podcast. Yeah, and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, uh, we are very (laughs) excited to chat with you. Uh, Why don't you start by telling our audience about the work that you do? Because even though we are talking nature, your writing career is not just limited to writing about nature.
2: Yeah, um, that's true. So, um, when people ask me what I write about, I often say that I write about the body. And sometimes that's the forces that play on it or the tension within it. So, if I'm doing a profile of an athlete or something, usually it's getting inside their minds because it's them against themselves. Normally, occasionally there are outside forces. When I'm working on a lot of environmental policy work, like I did in Flint and in Standing Rock, I'm thinking about the stressors on the body in terms of clean water and all of the things that are keeping people from that. Um, so I really do think about it from sort of that body-centered perspective. So I cover food, um, I cover culture and and sort of art and crafts and Um, the intellectual, philosophical ways of thinking about the body. But I also get to engage in nature in this really fun, interesting way and talk about all the ways people challenge themselves or soothe themselves um, in, you know, the natural world.
1: I love a Black intellect. I just have to tell you, you and Angela Davis are my favorite people.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. I I love them. I I stand. You don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all Oh, my God. I know they can't see it, but y'all saw it. Y'all saw the hair flip. It was yes, sweet. We got it. Um, we got it. Oh, oh my God.
1: <laughs> Keep that in your heart, if ever you're feeling low, you're a black intellect right up there with Angela Davis, and we love. Yes, I'm Absolutely. putting that on a post-it note.
0: <laughs> <laughs> everywhere, everywhere, and all the walls. There you go. Yes. So definitely you are a capital O outdoorsy girl. Talk to us about your relationship with nature
2: um i don't so that's so interesting that y'all see me as a capital o outdoorsy girl because i do not feel that way uh, oh come now it, it, really it, i know but it's because yes okay so a lot of my friends have hiked like long trails um a good um person that i look up to her name is rahawa hale and she's also a black yes. nature writer yes so she's an american yes. she uh-huh. lives in Elton. she's amazing and like, she's hiked the entire AP, right? You know, so mm-hmm. we're talking over 2000 miles and like, that's not my jam, right? So I often mm-hmm. think of like these true outdoors people, which is like a lie, imposter syndrome exists, even in the way we think about ourselves in the outdoors, right? Um, and I'm right. like, oh, I haven't done a long trail or whatever. I've spent all these years outside, but it it feels like I, there are moments where I, it still feels like I haven't earned that moniker. Um, and like that's, like when you're like capital O outdoorsy, I'm like, am I? I don't know about this. I, I like, you know, I usually go for my hike and then I go home, right? Like I'm not spending several months in a row outside. So like, you know, but again, it's that marketing. It's what we think of as engaging in the outdoors and all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, you know, even though I've taken wilderness rescue and been certified and all of these other things, I'm like, am I outdoorsy? And the truth is, yes, yes, I am. If you look at my hiking pants collection and even my hiking boot collection. <laughs> I I'm very much it's a little bit of a problem and maybe the Love closest it. I um ever can be to a hoarder. But yeah, like I I anyway. Um but yeah, so it it started um fairly even keeled. I'm from a rural community. Um my family has a farm and so I've always sort of engaged with animals and plants um in the idea of reading the weather or understanding the weather because it understands what you can do in a mm-hmm. day and things like that. Um, But when I had the chance to go off to Dartmouth, which is in Hanover, New Hampshire, um, the Appalachian Trail runs through it. And you're also in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And I um, saw a different type of wilderness and maybe wildness. You know, these big granite mountains, exposed rocks um, and all of this stuff for the first time um, and decided to engage with those and learn about them. Um, And I've sort of been in some ways wandering ever since, even when I moved to New York City. I would do the 60 block walk home through Central Park, right? For the greenery yeah. and, you know, to read a book by Harlem Meir and all of that. So my relationship with nature has changed over the years, but it's always been um, a great source of, of peace and solace, even when it's at its most tumultuous, right? Like being outside the middle of a thunderstorm is uh, a little less thrilling when you don't have on the right gear, but it's just yeah. like, this is, <laughs> this is what happens and it's fine. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you can understand in some ways how you how the thunderstorm came and things like that. And in points of my life where things felt a little random, uncertain or or just not understandable, um, I've always sort of been able to turn to a green space to try to sort myself out.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think there is something very healing about just being in nature, especially in today's world, just disconnecting from all the devices. You know, there is something very important. And I think more and more people are being gravitated to, to those small moments. Um, so speaking of nature, we're here talking about the article you wrote. We're here. You just don't see us. And we'll link it to the show notes. So our audience has read it. It's a fantastic read. Um, but tell us, for the people who haven't read it, tell us what the article is about and what inspired you to write it. And why was this important for you? Why was this our article important for you to write?
2: Yeah. Um, I got tired of the outdoors being considered white people's stuff, right? Like letting them sort of have ownership of this space that, um, you know, originally belonged to indigenous people, right? Before westward expansion, Extension oh, yeah. and every, like there, there's all of that. And then also like their idea of possession of it allowed them to believe it belonged to them and intimidate other people off of it. Like, uh, you know, just people of color in general. Whether you're looking at Latinx people, Black people, or people that have more recently immigrated, you know, to the country um, through language, through the way that they kept knowledge and would talk to one another about it and stuff. So I got tired of people saying Black people don't. And that's with a lot of things. So, like, um, you know, Black people don't do veganism, you know, as, as you know now from the, uprise of, or from the rise of like TikTok, Samantha, Samantha Brown, and Instagram, we do. We've been doing it forever, right? And so this idea of like Black people don't do classical music. My brother and I grew up as classical musicians. And so we knew that to be true. It, it, it just felt like people kept making Blackness, one, a monolith, and two, very, very small. And at some point you get tired of that. Um, and this was my way. I've spent my entire career writing back against something, right? Usually something I'm frustrated by or ashamed of or seek to understand. Those are probably my top. Three, um, and I was frustrated by the idea that like when I said oh I'm going for a hike or whatever that like there was an instant reaction to that right um, and not necessarily an understanding of it and I wanted to figure out how we got that way so mm. when Outside Magazine reached out to me and they were like hey do you have any ideas is there something that you want to write about or you know explore um, you know this this was at the top of the list there were two main ideas that I went to them with um, and this is the one that they really really liked. um so the goal of this piece is called we're here you just don't see us and i'm writing back against this statistic that like something like four percent of african americans go to national parks and i was like yeah i believe that number but here's here's why we're in state mm-hmm. parks we recreate right. you know on private land due to safety we do things differently and the way you're trying to count us is not necessarily culturally accurate. Like, I mean, the entire setup for the experiment is incorrect. Like it's flawed, right? It's Mm -hmm. not going to work and you're not going to get what you need. Um, And then the Outdoor Industry Alliance did calls with people of color um, and asked, you know, why don't you go to National Park? And 16% of African-Americans said safety, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole lot that we have to delve into about the history of Black people in this country. And we're we were allowed to go, sometimes where we're still prohibited from going, um, that people don't talk about and whether that is by custom, by violence, or all of these other things. Um, you know, and it really gave me a chance, they and I, I can't believe they gave me like six or seven thousand words to really kind of unspin <laughs> this thing. Well, because people are like, We'll give you fifteen hundred words to talk about the history of the universe and you're like That's what? not enough. Right. It's not enough. That's not and enough. She, And like, even for this, I turned in like 10,000 words and we cut 3,000 of them, you know, like, and that happens. Like, I mean, when I write things, I tend to not necessarily overwrite, but, you know, have more to say than can fit into this space. And you have to figure out how to make it a neat argument. But yeah, so, you know, it's to get, it was a joy to get that type of space because writers, especially at that point, I was a fairly new writer. I started writing November, 2015. So this piece came out in 2018, but I wrote it in 2017. So I'm two years into my career and they're giving me, you know, seven, eight pages of space in a print magazine. And that very rarely happens, but it was important to them and a priority to them. And it was obviously a priority to me. And so we that's figured great. out how to, how to sort of do that. So yeah, that's, that's why it's called We're Here, You Just Don't See Us. Because we are, we're outside and we're doing these things. You're just looking in all of the wrong places to try to find. Well,
1: I want to, I have a question, excuse me. Coming up hot on that one, because truth be told, this episode was originally titled Why Black People Don't Camp. And then I read your article. I felt seen. I felt called in. We don't do call out culture on this podcast. We call in. And I was compelled to change the title. Again, I'm not going to give away why. But our audience, if you want to know why, go ahead and read the article. You will figure out very soon why the, the title of this episode was changed. Um, where do you think these limiting beliefs about black people and nature come from and why do they still persist? Because it feels very generational. I got mine from my parents. My parents got their beliefs about nature from their parents, so on and so forth.
2: Yeah. So there are a couple of, of uh, reasons, I think, I mean, when you're looking at sort of the history of this country and um, the fact that black people were enslaved for a really long time and you didn't have control over your house or your conditions or so many other things. Right you finally get out of the terrible weather and all of these bad things that have happened to you why would you want to go back like you know that is something mm. my my family is very split my mom's family is not super outdoorsy and like the one uncle that is owns a like mercedes rv like it is oh. very much like Ooh, a fancy. luxury yeah it's it's very very <sighs> different whereas like me and my little hundred dollar tent will be out here in the back like, I really, do. I he goes do. glamping. Yeah. And I mean, it's it still, it gets him outside and exposes parts of our family to the outdoors in a different way that they would not like, they're not going to be like sleeping pad and tent people. And mm. that's fine. So, like, i there, there's no shade there. There's no shame, no yeah. judgment and stuff like that. But his idea is like, but, but why though? Why would I uh-huh. like, like, why the tent? Why, why this part of it? Um, you know so a a little bit of it is that in terms of generational some of it is just like safety like there's nothing protecting you if you're sort of outside (laughs) there's no lock on your Mm -hmm. like it is on the door for your house and things like that Um, so there's there's a little bit of that and and, you know black people used to know the bad things happened in the woods right Um, so that that's a little bit of it and then a lot of these places were segregated like if you look at Shenandoah National Park they had colored picnic grounds and white picnic grounds um great smoky mountains national park was supposed to be segregated but they decided not to so like even being in some of these spaces could be humiliating or embarrassing or you always realize you were just different so like shenandoah was segregated for a long time i know it started in the 1920s so you have it is a generational thing in some ways like we don't go there because we don't want to be embarrassed or we don't go there because like you can't tell where the line is the way that you can with buildings right Like, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're going into a restaurant as a black person, you use the back door. If you're out in the woods, you don't necessarily know this is where I can go. And this is where I can't, especially at that time when you're thinking about the green book and things like that. And then um, a little bit of it is and my family is going to kill me for this, but I don't care. Black respectability. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I try to take my homegirls out and they're like, oh, but if it starts raining and what about my hair? This is especially when relaxer culture was a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. like the natural movement has changed up a lot of that now, but it's like, oh, if I go out there and then my hair gets messed up, it's like, what do I do with this, you know, or whatever. And we're also worried about, I think in many ways, being uncomfortable um, in some ways, because you've had to deal with, especially as a black person in America. And I say this because I can only speak to my experience. You're always worried about being watched. You're always worried about being uncomfortable. You're always worried about so many things. It's like when you think about winter sports, why would you go out there and, and be cold voluntarily? right? I've never yeah. understood
1: winter sports, to be honest.
2: But I mean, I love them. Like, I snowshoe every chance I get. Like, it's, oh, wow. It's just, oh, yeah. Like, I try it all. I, I mean, don't let this thick apparatus fool you. I am, like, out there paddleboarding and, like, snowshoeing and, like, big girl gets it in. Like, I'm, I'm going to try it. I have not Ooh. tried climbing yet, but there was a plus-size mountaineering course that I was signed Ooh. up pre-COVID, you know, canceling everything that we hope for in 2020. Yeah, so, like, I, I've got to try it. How, how do I know what I'm capable of or what I can do or learn about the world if I'm not at least giving it a shot?
1: Right on. Oh, my God, I have chills listening to you talk about trying things and doing some cold-weather sports. Because, again, like, yeah. I grew up with the idea that Black people don't do cold-weather sports because we don't like cold weather.
2: Yeah. So well, you're mean, inspiring the- me
1: to change that.
2: Yes. I mean, just give it, especially if you have the opportunity to like rent the proper gear and there's a whole conversation to have about money and accessibility and things like that. Yeah. Like that is very, very much valid. But like, I realized I didn't mind getting wet. Like when I had the right gear, like if it's raining, when I'm hiking, I have this particular Columbia jacket that I love and I, I don't mind going out because I have the right stuff and I don't have to worry about being cold and wet and nobody else is out there. And it's actually my favorite time to go because I really have the place to myself and it's quiet and the animals are doing their things and the birds are talking to one another and there are just fewer people. So like when you go out when it's really cold, I wouldn't say go out when it's like a snowstorm and you can't see. You know, <laughs> there are so many people. Well, because it's true. Some people are like, oh, this is exactly what she's talking about. At at nobody's go <laughs> out here. And die, right? You know, but like it, it's just there's something, especially like if you're able to get out like right after dawn and then you've got fresh snow with your snow beautiful. shoes and it's just you mm. and your breathing and sort of hearing the snow kind of fall off the trees there's nothing like it in the world it's the closest that you can get I think to peace in some way wow
0: beautiful I can I just I feel it as you're I knew it <laughs>
2: I knew Jackie's the
1: naturalista of the two of us. I had a feeling that that would really resonate with you.
2: Yeah, And it does take waking up super early before everybody else is out and stuff like that. And I like Sunrise types are my favorite. It is. For me, it is. Other people, it's like the midnight, you know, stuff. Like I'm going to dark sky zones and like seeing the Aurora Borealis in Nova Scotia. I've done it too. Like there are two completely (gasps) different ends of the spectrum. this for different people and I'm one that's like willing to try it all with a yeah an energy drink. I'm down I'm down to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So espresso um, you know. Yeah. But everybody you find out what your preference is the more and more you do it. But like I encourage just just try it, try it twice. Because the first time you might be like, oh this is the wrong gear or I should have done something different. Mm. But give it give it a shot twice and see how you truly feel about it. And if it's not your jam, that's okay. OK, Latreya,
1: I'm going to take that challenge. I've been invited <laughs> to Big Bear by a friend of my fiance's. I'm going to go. I'm going to see if I hate it. I, pr- I think I'm going to, but I'm going to go in with an
2: open mind
1: and no. try and get up yeah. early and hear the snowfall.
2: Yeah, and I'll and report back. you can you can always go back to the cabin and have a cup of coffee and like read a book and be like, yep, did, I, I did the thing. I did it. <laughs> it the, yeah, right. I did the thing and it was not my thing. And that's all right but like there you can always go home you can always go back it's not like you have to die out there like sort of thing you know what i mean everybody it's just like they think it's the end of the world no no no. there's a cabin with a fire and like you know i don't know if you take your dog for the weekend or whatever it doesn't have to be the end of it but you do you know making the effort you could really change the way you think about yourself i love
1: that well well said yeah Okay, I hate to take us from this happy point to a bit of a depressing point, but we're going to we're (laughs) going to switch gears a little bit because black people used to be connected to nature. We used to have a connection to land because of a little thing called slavery. We were forced to commune with nature because we were human machines and used to tend the land. It was also during this time that white people did not have a connection with nature because they didn't have to because they weren't forced to be in it. And then that switched once slavery ended and times changed. When did black people's relationship with nature degrade and white people's relationship with nature upgrade?
2: Okay. So there are sort of two tracks for this and there, there are historians that can better answer this with dates for you, but like there are two versions of, of this that I'm thinking of being a Southerner. um, I'm thinking great migration, obviously like after reconstruction, um, you know, so just to give people a little bit of a timeline, um, you know, you have the Civil War. Uh, Black people are emancipated. They're supposed to be able to vote for the first time. They Some do for about 10 years. And you see a couple of Black senators going to Congress. So this gets you to about 1880, 1890, mm-hmm. right? Just in this, this mm-hmm. amount of time. But then there's just like what happened when we had President Obama. Um, you know, there's a, a version of a white lash. And white supremacists, start intimidating black people when they see that they're getting power and they're not dying off the way that they thought they would be and they're amassing money and this is the period that you sort of see between 1890 and about 1920 with obviously the Tulsa massacre the Ocoee massacre the Ro- Rosewood massacre burning down all of these black vibrant areas that cause people to migrate north mm. so um, that's kind mm. of you know they have they're, they're close to the land, they're building businesses, they have communities and all of these things. And then white supremacy kind of intimidates them to the point that they decide to leave and seek opportunities other, elsewhere. And those are off, often in cities that have factories and industry, you know, steel, we're thinking Pittsburgh, we're thinking New York City, we're thinking Chicago and Detroit and cars and all of that sort of stuff. So you, you have that in some ways, excuse me, um, for Southerners that way. Um, and then on the separate end of it, I'm thinking about somewhere like New York City, um, mm. where there was great, you know, industry and trade and merchants, white merchants, obviously making money as immigration starts and people start coming to these cities. You have this idea of white flight. They start seeing cities as dirty, filthy places. They start searching for somewhere else in order to have, you know, their idea of peace and untouched wilderness. You know, and that's part of this whole westward expansion, um, creating parks out west sort of jam and all of this that's happening. Some of this is happening concurrently, um, you know, between sort of the northern um, ideals and southern violence happening sort of at the same time. But, you know, they're looking at at first white people moved from down near Wall Street to up near Harlem, you know, one one. I lived on one thirty nine So that area was originally those those homes were built by white people. Once they left them in search of greener pastures, black people occupied them. And it was called Strivers Row because those black professionals strive to pay the rent. So you have that, you see the creation of Central Park um, Mm -hmm. at this time, um, which actually there was a black community there called Seneca Village. Like there were people living there. This wasn't just unoccupied space. Yes, because black people owned land originally where Central Park was and they were forced off of it. Yes, and now they're doing archaeological excavations to figure out what their lives were like. They found really beautiful, um, expensive patterned China and things like that. These were not, um, you know, people, when when we think about emancipated people or people during Reconstruction, we really think about them wearing potato sacks and just fighting for their lives. And that's not what this is, especially in somewhere like uh, New York City. Right? right. But yeah. So, I mean, they, <laughs> but they, yeah. they just like manifest destiny, guys. Um, You know, they're like, oh, we want we want this. We want to make this a pure place. So you have to go. Right. Um, And, you know, all of this sort of ideological reasons. So there are no straight uh, streets in Central Park. Like if you were trying to get from one side, like from uh, the west side of town to the east side. I know this because I used to have to do it for work. You can't. The streets don't line up. You'll start on 79th and you'll end up on 81st because they want you to wander. Like, oh. the idea is that, yeah, so, it, like, it's not built for efficiency. It, it's sort of <laughs> taking you through this natural guide. There's no grid system inside Central Park, and it's very confusing to tourists. It's very confusing when you first move there. I'm but, sure. like, all of these sort of ideas that they have about controlled nature show up because they've re- removed Indigenous people and they've removed Black people and recast this in their own image of what they think whiteness and engagement with nature is supposed to look like. Wow. So you, yeah, you have that. And obviously you have this group of Black people that has you know, left their roots in the South because one, because they've had to, two, because there are very hard memories associated with it. Three, because like if you're working 12 hour shifts in a factory, chances of you having your own garden or engaging with nature and doing all of these things in a dense area is much harder. Obviously we're seeing sort of, the change with that now with apiaries on top of buildings and things like that and container gardens and stuff like that but that is um sort of a return or, or an attempt to return to um, some of these original notions that people had, but that they could not express in cities so that's a little bit of it and then also the idea that like uh at one point undeveloped land was not worth a lot and now mm. that people praise cities and you have all of this culture, um, you know, in them, the, like the land outside of them. I and mean, you're seeing this with the pandemic, right? With everybody mm-hmm. fleeing major metropolitan areas. It's driving up rural housing markets. Like our, our market here is booming. I'm in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And we're dealing with this capitalistic New South anyway. Um, but, you know, everything here is worth a lot more now that people are like, oh, I don't have to live in New York City to do my job because everybody's remote. Let me get out of here to this place that seems really, really cheap. Them, but it's very hard. So you're seeing sort of that that forcing mm, out I of see. people of color that was happening in Brooklyn um, a couple of years ago after 9 11. You're now seeing that happen in pockets of the South and probably pockets. I mean, because it's happening in Oakland, that idea of like gentrification and moving people out um, is happening everywhere. But you're you're seeing it. I mean, this place within the last 10 15 years is unrecognizable, um, and that's why I'm trying to write down the bones of it because by the time I have kids and they're conscious, none of this will, there'll be a five guys on every block and a Jersey Mike's and all of those things. We have Shake Starbucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. We have got like six Starbucks now. And like, that was like when I was in college, like you couldn't even get them. You know, you had to like New York City was the only place that had them. And now you can go to the grocery store and there's a Starbucks inside. So like those, those sorts of things, but you're missing the mom and pop farmers. You're missing the mom and pop restaurants. They can't afford it. You know, yeah. anymore. So rent has gone from being $1,000 a month downtown to $10,000 a month for restaurants. Mm-hmm, so and when you're dealing with that type of uh, thing, it, it's again divorcing you from whatever your heritage was, your dreams were, your connection to land um, at times. Because when the prices go up for these places, um, sometimes if you can't afford taxes, that's the end of you. That's what's right. happening to the Geechee near the coast. Um, you know, all all it takes is them to, you know, you paid $1,000 for this land or whatever. Now it's worth $370,000 because of the condo is going around it. Can can you afford those types of taxes? No. Well, then it no longer belongs to you. So there's always this idea of shifting. It's like there's, you cannot make more land. Like in America, that is not right. what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so if you own the land, in the end, you have power. This is something that was very much understood. Um, when you're looking at the Constitution, and it used to be land-owned, land-owning white men, right, mm-hmm. you got to vote, and it's this same idea that if you have land, you have power. Um, and so, how do we keep people from having that thing? How do we keep playing this um, shell game? You know, the little, where it's the coconut shells, and there's a ball underneath, and you're trying to figure out where. Yeah, it's that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's yeah. that's it's whatever we can do to commodify and monetize and keep people from um things that you know at some point it was it was their history or or an understanding and also america just loves i realize it's a long answer and i apologize that's fine Um, but you know but i was like america loves erasure because it allows Uh... us to be that we can be anything or anybody right um and so it's like nobody wants to talk about this reconstruction white it's starting to happen where people are talking about it Right. But I was like, "Ooh, we did this. We did this a 100 years ago. Like next week, I'm leaving to do a story in Ocoee, Florida. And in 1920, after the election, two black people voted and um, white supremacists burned down this entire town and killed 60 people and stuck them in a mass grave. So like this is this idea of election violence is not new. This idea of the, the sort of um, threatening of white power is not new. No, this is new. We just decided to forget because we need right, people and- to you know, to believe that they can work their way out of what I consider to be a trap now. Mm. Now that I'm like old enough, I'm 34. It feels like a trap, right? There are a couple of superstars that get out of it. But for your average person in America, there was an Atlantic article and it was saying that like, if you are on the cusp of poverty or born in poverty, it takes 20 years of nothing going wrong in order to wait, to work yourself up from poverty to like lower middle class mm-hmm. who has 20 years of nothing going wrong right. especially when the a, the average expectancy of life for a black woman is like 78 years or something like right like okay. who gets a stretch that long no, um so no you know right Yeah, my fiance and
1: I were talking last night about the American dream and if it still exists. And, like, to black people, the American dream is way far gone. Like, that shit is for the birds at this point. But there are many people that still hold on to the essence of the American dream as though it is still uh, possible in our modern day world. And I I feel terrible for those people. I don't want to dash their dreams. But also, like, the American dream is a fucking sham and and should be destroyed,
2: I think. Yeah. So there's this quote and I wish I remember who said it and I'll have to Google it at some point and maybe tell you so you can put it in the show notes. But they were like people that believe like that is why white supremacy has such a foothold on particularly poor, rural white people is because they believe that they can be anything. And right now they're just embarrassed, inconvenienced billionaires and like their time is coming.
1: Yeah. You're just a couple of good mm. choices and a lot of hard work away from being a millionaire a couple times over.
2: Right. Yeah, Right. And, and I yeah. mean, but like, and we see it even sometimes in like what's being sold to us on Instagram and things like that. Right. And this life that like, we now know, understand, I think um, being a little older is not real, but like, it's like not if you're possible. Fo- yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh girl, how many filters are on this? Like, you know right. what I mean? Like it, but, until you get to a certain point, and I have to say this, you know, I thought that, like, I was just making all the wrong choices for a while, because I have an Ivy League degree, right, I went and got a master's, I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm hardworking, you know, I, and I've said this before, I paid for an Ivy League school in watermelons and okra, right, in terms of, like, trying to take out Ooh, some loans, love and stuff, it. like, I hustled, and I was, like, how did my, like, I've never had a job that has um hired me full time. I've never had benefits. I've never had vacation time. And I was like, what did I do that was so wrong in my life that has kept me from getting these things that it seems other people have? And I was like, a lot of people were hired by their friends or by parents of their friends. It's in some ways it is nepotism, right? In some ways it is just that like there was no right answer. Like, you know, in this multiple choice, like none of them were going to be the right option, right? Um, Mm -hmm. because I, I went to school, did really well, came out of school right at the beginning of the recession.
1: And so like, you know what I
2: mean? And so there's so many of us and I've, I've started to see it now because a lot of my friends, particularly, um, black friends are, I was like, you're so, you're so talented and we're just starting to get where we should have been. We're, we're in our thirties and we're just starting to get where we should have been when we were 24. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what happened? Yeah. You know, and the recession happened for a lot of yeah. us. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, sick parents happened. Right. Um, yeah. Being unhoused happened for a lot of reasons. Right. Um, you know, domestic violence and dealing with the ideas of being unworthy um, and having your material value attached to what you do happen. Mm. Um, and you have to work yourself through those things, understand those yeah. things and um, overcome those things. To get anywhere, and that takes a minute. Time. Mm -hmm. Real long answer. My bad. No, no, Uh, it's great. You gave us
1: a lot to process and ponder. This is often a good sign when Jack and I are like, okay. Quiet. Take a minute to let it all seep in. (laughs) Christian will edit out this this long pause anyway, so it's totally fine.
0: Yeah. But thank you for that.
1: You gave us a lot of really interesting, sort of hard to digest but incredibly necessary points we needed to hear it. I think our listeners will totally value you. so thank you for that. Thank you definitely. I feel like I just lived through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: which is which is what's happening. Yeah. So
2: yeah, a lot is happening. I also had two therapy sessions this week cuz I felt like I needed them and y'all are probably getting some of that too.
1: Great. Awesome. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Loving I like, it. I was like this use is... let them use you. Like give give them give yeah. the people what they need Absolutely. because not everybody can write that check and that's mm-hmm. okay. So it's so
0: so true yeah. that that's often what sometimes this podcast does feel like. You know, after we're done with the with the show, we're like, ah,
2: yes. <laughs> um yeah. I. And I, I mean, nobody's to, saying oh, these things. No, no, yeah. I was going to say it was one of those like you know something that I wrote about in the second piece after we're here. You just don't see it. it's Like you know, I write a couple of things that I needed to hear in my life, and that's often what I'm doing. I'm trying to be the adult I needed when I was younger or trying to, you know, express some of those things that I didn't have language for when I was younger. Cause like, you know, I'm just, I was an AOL kid. Like either you were talking (laughs) on the phone, you could not talk on the phone and like use your computer at the same time. So there was so, yes. Yes! So like, I mean, I remember, I remember the sound of dial up y'all don't but yes, I do I do I do oh, yeah okay so I was like I know I'm a little bit older than y'all um slow ass internet yes and so like the the transfer of ideas and the way that we do it now I marvel at what kids have now because like there's so much that we just didn't have language for and I think about a lot of the icons that have passed Dorothy Dandridge Billie Holiday some of these old they didn't have language for what they were feeling or going through, and it left them very isolated. Like the fact that we can talk about mental health mm-hmm. and wellness and all that—like that's not in my grandmother's lexicon, right? Yeah, that's definitely. not even really in my I mom's. Feel the same. Yeah, Same. So that's yeah. where I'm kind of like, girl, get get this therapy, get what I've learned, yeah. And like hopefully Let it all out. Use for you, useful to you, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, that's that's definitely I think, especially now in 2020, what a year it's been, but. The amount of healing everyone has to do. I mean, even if nothing happened, anything with COVID or anything, but just being stuck at home, you know, like mm-hmm. that must have been tough for a lot of people.
2: You have to sit with yourself. Um,
0: oh, You do. And you need to face yourself, right? Yeah, one point yeah. or another. And, and that's difficult.
2: That, yeah, that makes you or break you, breaks you, especially if you're not used to spending a lot of time alone, if you're out bopping, right. or if you're like job. For some people, it's like their job. And especially if you're in PR or something like that, the validation comes from doing a job that engages with other people. And when you can't do that and don't have that same type of feedback, how do you like compensate? A lot of us, you know, are just struggling through. I spend a lot of time alone. And so like, in some ways I'm like, I'm okay. But then other moments I'm like, check on your introvert friend. Oh she's yes. Not, she's not as good as you think yes. she is. Right, um, right. You know, same. It's, it's different because yeah, I soothe myself with art. You can't go to art museums. I usually try to like eat somewhere really cool when I'm I'm in about I'm on the road about six months a year, and like Ooh, last year I hit like wow. thirty nine cities, and so I mean we want to talk about like eating something interesting because like they send me on assignments and I work all the time because I have no life because I'm compensating for things right. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> there's a reason you girls are girl. right? Oh, my love right? for you and knows so, no bounds. I love that, but, but again, <laughs> it's true. You know, I was, it it, it. it is what it is. I'm grateful that I have the life that I have and people allow me to tell stories. So some of it is is that, but I also realize, like, I spend a lot of time by myself and I'm comfortable with that, but I was not that way in college coming out of it and stuff like that. But you just have to learn to sit with yourself. And that's hard because, like, I'm yeah. living in my childhood home and, like, there's some ghosts here and some stuff. And you just sure. have to be willing to sit with it and write it down or engage with it or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And so a lot of people Spot are dealing on. with that during the pandemic. Hmm.
0: Hmm. I agree. Um. I wanted to take you back just a little bit. You did touch upon this earlier, and you do talk a lot about it in in your article. Um. How national parks have not always been welcoming to Black people. Um. Can you can you tell the audience a little bit about a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. Um. So. There- there are a couple of ways that national parks have not been friendly, like to black people, but like also just to, um, I would say marginalized communities across the board. Um, so I I will say that like, I think a lot about language as a writer and the idea that all of these are in English, right. They're not uh-huh. really accessible to people that, you know, if English is not your first language, right. Um, some of these places um, are not necessarily um welcome welcoming of people because of segregation as we talked about a little bit before um something that other people think about a lot is um the fact that certain park rangers are law enforcement rangers and these Mm -hmm. people carry guns oh and so they are like the police of the woods and so never thought about that yeah so if a police officer is shooting you in the middle of a major city and it's videotaped and you still cannot get justice. What happens to you in the middle of the woods with no videotape and no cell phone service to call for help?
0: Ah, uh, that's dangerous.
2: And- yeah, and like they don't necessarily make themselves, I think certain parks are trying to change this with, you know, introducing the rangers on Instagram and things like that and showing that they do have a personality and they're meant to be out here for the safety and security and rescue of people in these parks. But also people don't understand. These parks are huge. So my my home park, basically, that I was writer in residence of Great Smoky Mountains National Park, 800 square miles. Huge park. Yeah. And this is this is not a this is not when you're thinking about um, size, really. Like I, I'm pretty sure Olympic is bigger. A lot of these national parks are much larger than this park, but huge, huge, huge park. Um, and so, you know, you're thinking about what your engagement is like with these people. Um, you know, I've had some they're they're not always warm people. Mm, if that makes yeah, sense. And like I going to and sometimes like that's just their personality, but I'm like, "Ooh, but why are you in the visitor center where people are asking you the questions though?" And like not like maybe person. this is not Isn't this a yeah, problem? Yeah, I was like Yeah, I was like maybe this is not your skill set. Like yeah. and that's okay, but let's find right. something that is a better fit. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've had I, I've had a couple conversations with Um, some of the supervisors and some of that goes uh, ignored when you make those complaints because I I actually made a formal complaint in the Smokies about um, someone and it just never went never never like oh she's yeah well they're like oh she's retiring soon it'll be fine I was like it's not fine because that retired ranger then becomes a volunteer that engages with people that have questions and it just continues perpetuating this cycle
1: yeah right and
2: then um, in the Smokies and I had to speak Specifically to the Smokies, partially because that's the park that I spent the most time in. I'm there monthly. Um, You know, even though I've done Rocky Mountain and I've done the Everglades and things like that, understanding trends over a period of time, I never want to just generalize. Mm. Um, That's really sort of, you know, I try not to make snap judgments. But, you know, you also have this history of violent erasure of people. So, you know, when you're talking about the Smokies, um, obviously Cherokee, North Carolina is on the other side of, on one side, the North Carolina side of the park the Eastern Band of Cherokee, their um, lands are there. So they talk about them. What they don't talk about, and I I say it a little bit in this second essay that was published last month, is I went to this park expecting to just be able to pick up a book about Black people in the smoke, right? Or being able to go into the visitor center and read a panel about who lived here, right? There's nothing. There's Um, absolutely no. Yeah, there's nothing. You can't buy a book. You can't watch a video. You can't see a pamphlet. There's nothing. And you have to realize, well, because people. Loved this, and this is what we sort of call the modern lens of, of fallacy in some ways. You know, when, when so Great Smoky Mountains Park National Park was acquired, there were obviously people living there because in the East, most of this is occupied, um, you know, land, uh, white people have enslaved people. We love this idea that, you know, white people were so poor, they couldn't afford slaves. At They could not afford 400 slaves. It was not a plantation, um, you know, economy but they had four. They had enough to run their mills and serve their families and things right. like that. So, you know, in this idea of covering up slavery in general, mm-hmm. that happens around the time that this park was founded. Um, They're, they're not doing that. They're destroying the African-American towns that were there. Yeah. They're not documenting any of the stuff that was there. It wasn't worth it to them. Like, you have to remember at this point, Black people still cannot vote. Like, there are so many protections. You're in the middle of Jim Crow. So- they didn't see these things as having value black people in this area are just slightly above that three-fifths of a person that they were you know during enslavement so you know there's there's a lot of that that's happening that we're now trying to undo um you know they didn't keep records the the only records that i have and this is as a researcher i was like ooh, this is going to be part of my project i have to kind of work on this a little bit and there um is a graduate student that's also doing the research the park is just starting to do the research now but as an independent researcher you can move much faster than the government um, yes. so i, I want to give them props though they are working on it i don't want to say that they're not but you know that's within they just started having that conversation within the last five years right about something that's been a hundred year problem. um you know so there are these mass graves where they just kind of threw black people in them and now they're doing ground penetrating radar to try to figure out how many people are there that sort of stuff. The only documentation that you can find about black people in this area is what we call a slave schedule. And it gives you, it's like a census. Um, So whenever they do the census, they give the name of the owner and their household and their kids and, you know, their ages and names and all that stuff. But when you get to the slaves it will have, whether they were black or mulatto and we know how we get mulatto Mm -hmm. um, people and um, their sex and their age, that's it. That's all you often get. And so I went to the archive, I mean, for 800 square miles, all they had was um, one sheet of a slave schedule, right? Um, and so you could go back and find out who the owner was and then see if you could find the names of these enslaved people. So my major uh-huh. project coming out of that was following the life of this one enslaved woman called Sook Turner, um, who eventually is emancipated, continues to live in this community. And her um, son uh, starts working in lumber camps and that. So I found the area where she was enslaved, um, the house she moved into afterwards, and I visited her grave. wow. So that's, like, the type of research for this. But, yeah, so, like, I mean, it's just the idea that, like, you don't even exist in this space. We have completely wiped you from this area. It's probably the most violent thing um, about this area because it allows them to deny, and they sort of gaslight you. And this is both from certain members of the rangers in the park but then also from this community at large that loves their Confederate flags. There are a couple of Confederate flag stores in Gatlinburg. Um, you know, they em- embrace that, um, you know, sort of lumberjack. Like they love their Buffalo plaid and Confederate flags as if Buffalo, like, and this idea of like being Paul Bunyan with like moonshine sort of thing. I was like, but Paul Bunyan was the Midwest. He was not even here. Yeah, that so, archetype really know. resonates with white men.
1: Whole bunion archetype i've never understood it to this day
2: yeah and i like serving breakfast in cast iron skillets like they love <laughs> they're like pancake things like they're they just, obsessed like, they're like they like, just
0: take right they just take yeah take and they take yeah, and, they take, yeah. And, they
2: take. and then they put it in a blender and yeah. like welcome to go. authenticity and yeah. i'm like this but this is not it though yeah you know, certain parts of it are historically accurate but like serving me six pancakes in a cast iron skillet like as a man in some flannel, like not from this region, like. So wrong. Yeah, I, I <laughs> it's struggle. Like, let's play wilderness. I, yeah, you know, well, because it is, it's a tourist trap. Jimmy Buffett has a Margaritaville there. Oh, Ripley's, right. believe it or not, is on the other side. Dollywood wow. is right there in Pigeon Forge, you know, with the, wow. it used to be called the Dixie Stampede and now it's called the Dolly Stampede. Oh, you know? oh that's so right. Ha- yeah, so there's a whole lot happening in this area. <laughs> Yes. In this area. And it's not meant for black people. No. You know? Yeah, clearly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're trying to make it more consumer friendly in some ways. Um, but that's the thing. It's consumer friendly. Not just want your money. Not authentic. Yeah. But it is consumer friendly. Um, you money, know, money, so money. there's yeah, it's but that's we're going back to money and land and consumerism and like everything, right? So that was another long winded answer. That's okay. But like those are some of the I'm... the things in national parks that are often considered to be um you know inhospitable too that's before we ever talk about knowledge of plants poison oak poison ivy bears right. mountain lions and things like that which aren't scary in some ways because plants have certain characteristics animals have certain behaviors like that uh mountain lion video they're like oh she's stalking him i was like "At ah, that's not what's happening here <laughs> she's protecting her babies because you decided you were going to video them instead of moving on Mm -hmm. um you know but i was like if she was stalking you you would have known until she was on top of you like that's (laughs) animal behavior follows predictable patterns human behavior is much harder to discern right and it feels random and i was talking about this i was like we talk about random acts of kindness we also have to talk about random acts of violence oh yeah certain things even if you do everything right not everything that happens to you is going to be right. There are going to be some things that are not your fault that you spend a lot of time analyzing. I think we can all say this as people of color that we've done it. We mm-hmm. replayed moments in our head for sure, and like, there's nothing that you could have done to make this outcome any different than it was because whatever was going on was not actually ever about you. Right. Right.
1: Right. Totally. Um, I, I'm a low key Dolly Parton fan and I've always wanted to go to Dollywood, but there's no way I'm making it because of, um, just, Dollywood doesn't feel like a place for people of color. Uh, so I'm going to pass on that.
2: (laughs) I, she's on my list of places. Dollywood is on my place, list list of places to go. I didn't have time when I was there and I'm like, I have to go see what this is about because she, she's just such an interesting character.
1: She is.
2: And like, I really... Did yeah. you listen to the Dolly Parton podcast? No, I didn't. I so will send I, you a I, link I, to it. it. Yes, please. Uh, and Sarah Smarsh has a book that comes out in the next, I think, two weeks or something like that. That is all about her. But did you see, it's this little clip and it brings me so much joy every time. And I've shared it with all my femme friends. And I'm like, look at the energy in this video where it's her and Patti LaBelle and they're using their acrylics yes. to create a beat. Yeah. And they sing over the uh-huh. top of it. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, yes i mean it, in some ways she's so authentic and she's so real and um she's come out about black lives matter i think she is and people are going to pan me for this but i i do mean it it's the closest i can give her to an invite to the cookout a well-meaning white woman that doesn't mean that it always works out for her but like that doesn't mean that she is not aware of what she has and is trying to make a mm, difference
1: totally right yeah. like you know
2: she it's this idea that like she took the dolly stampede so for people that don't understand what the dixie stampede was it was like a dinner theater show and the north would fight the south mm-hmm. on the stage mm-hmm. and sometimes the south won yeah and mm-hmm. this idea of revisionist history history <laughs> and performance and things like that right and so i don't know I, i'm not sitting through it to figure out what happens when the south wins right, like, so right. That i can't i'm good right maybe it is just a celebration but like as a black person there's too much like, we already have Lovecraft Country. We've got Black Mirror. We've got all this other stuff. I can't, I can't put too myself much. in that space. Right. So, you know, but her idea of, you know, making sure that Dixie is not offensive, trying to speak out about Black Lives Matter. Who knows? She may have even changed the show. Like, there are some things that she is doing that mm-hmm. visible celebrities are not doing that we right. have to acknowledge. So I, that's what I'll leave with Bob. And I mean, whew, she can write some songs. Oh yes. Uh,
1: when you talked about the acrylics, that's how she uh, started writing nine to five, where she was like yes. shaking her acrylics and <sighs> I stumble out of bed and I tumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition. Like she was just like playing it on her yep. a- acrylic. So I love that you brought that up and I will send you that link because I've been to that podcast. It's so good.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll have to like set aside time. I've got a road trip coming up. And so maybe that's what <laughs> perfect time. it. So- <laughs>
1: Okay, so racism, segregation, white people doing white people things. Those are all reasons how our relationship with our relationship, meaning black people's relationship with with community, with uh, nature fell apart. But we also play a role in it, too, because we perpetuate these harmful stereotypes. What changes can we make in our own community? to dead the stereotypes about black people and nature so that they don't keep holding back generations that come after us
2: so i think first we have to acknowledge that like or be able to stop those those gut reactions of like ooh, black people don't do this and i'm like okay it does not have to be you don't have to go summit a 14er right like let's break down some of these <laughs> thoughts right because that's what people think you know one of my friends is like oh are you going to go climb Everest now and I was like I have no interest in climbing Everest but this selfie right off this little pull off in the Smokies is, is going to be super cute right like I mean it, it feels like these big massive hard arduous things but we have to like first define what nature is define what being in nature can be for me a lot of times I mean it's just a walk by the creek some days mm. like I don't get to go wander in the mountains and play around all the time when I'm on deadline, but I can take 15 minutes to go for a walk or something like that and notice the plants around me, notice the birds around me. So I think part of it is, is sometimes like changing that definition and like investigating why, and y'all have done this, um, on the podcast, you know, why are we being fed these things? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and people are starting to see it when we start talking about food justice, you know, and food deserts and sort of changing the narrative in that way. And I'm hoping that people see the outdoors and nature as an extension of that because I come from a foraging family um, in a lot of ways, you know. And I mean, in and, and some ways, fishing is sort of a version of, of foraging, right? It's getting food from the environment that, that you can put to use in your life. So, you know, but like crab apples, persimmons, pawpaws, all that stuff, like very rarely as a family do we go into the woods and not come out with something delicious. Um, so, you know, it's like if you can start seeing it there and learning you know um what's good to eat what to avoid something that everybody has their entry point to it something that like i've been encouraging um different nonprofit organizations to do and some of them are doing it on their own 1st There they're like black outside inc is there black girls trekking yes. outdoor journal tour there are some outdoor afro like they're great if you're a group person there are great mm. things to join and say hey i'm gonna try this take a friend with you or whatever or say okay we're gonna get together as a group Sometimes if my friends ask me, I'm like, okay, I'm going out. Do you want to come with me or whatever? I have a spare tent and a sleeping pad you can use or whatever um, and things like that. So some of it is like if you have an outdoor friend being like, hey, what should I take or where should I go? if I want to spend a couple of hours, you know, out in the wilderness, but I don't want to be like strenuous or anything like that because people often associate the outdoors with being uncomfortable all the time. Yeah, it's hot, there's bugs. There's all stick me. I- I'm, that, I'm that way. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. It does take a little bit of research or knowing someone that you can ask, but, you know, understanding that like what's being sold to us is not the only way it has to be, I think is really important. And then just starting small, starting with your backyard, right? Um, Starting with, you know, um, going up the street to the local garden or the park or something like that. And like finding your 10 moments, 10 minutes of peace. So like when I was really anxious and sort of struggling with my mental health when I was younger, like, I mean, the reason I started 10 seconds of Zen on my Instagram is like my therapist was like, just take 10 seconds, just like take 10 seconds to save your life and just clear out some of the noise. Right. And then it goes to 30 seconds and then a minute and then five minutes and 10 minutes. And now I spend whole days by myself and I don't hate myself. And that's like a really remarkable thing um, because I don't know. I did. I know I didn't have that when I was younger. Um, you know, but it it takes building up to it. And that's with just about any skill. Nobody becomes Gabby Douglas or Simone Biles after their first black backflip. And like the idea that you can do that, like for some people, maybe it is possible, but like you're setting yourself up against a monumental task to look at it that way. And I don't think it's fair to themselves. It's not fair to the environment they're in. Because like I and I say this to people all the time: in order to like save this planet you're going to have to understand black people's um, role and agency in all of this and like, not be offensive to us. Cause y- y'all need us. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, in terms of like right. lion's share of outdoor recreation, but also in terms of understanding um, climate change and looking to indigenous people and people of color for um, skills and things and knowledge that they've had ancestral knowledge in order to turn things around. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, you really like, they, they need us. Right. And but we have to understand some of the power that, that we have, because it's been minimized for us for so long. Right. Ooh,
1: well said. I also caught that Freudian slip. Simone Biles, black flip somewhat
2: quick. Tell her she, <laughs> she has to copyright that. That has to be her. Oh, term. my God. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, she's the greatest of all time. Like, no question about it. Absolutely.
1: Well, you just spoke really beautifully about you, about your Family and your connection to nature in the outdoors. You also speak really beautifully about it in the article. And I found you talking about your cultural con- connection to nature really moving, mainly because I feel like when we read outdoor articles, a lot of them can feel very framed in a bro y sort of Patagonia. How can I slay nature? What can I do in nature to enhance yeah. me? And you came at it more from an angle of heritage. This is the the land that created me and shaped who I was angle for those of us that do not feel like we have a family-based nature bond or any sort of nature story how can we start to create one so that we can pass it down to another generation
2: Ooh, that I, that's a really good question I see there being two parts to this so I will sort of split it up the first one I mean what manifest destiny and white supremacy has done to the outdoors has done us a great justice right like there's this idea of conquering a peak right like all of these really dominant violent um, applications of language to a place and um you know even the way things are named right um so there's this trail i'm going to because i'm southern and i've also only seen it written and not um pronounced it's like the numu uh it's called the people's trail basically but like because john Muir walked it one time they call it the john Muir trail Uh, and so they're they're trying uh. to reclaim the indigenous name for it right Right. um and in climbing you have the name these uh really offensive routes so like if you climb it a certain way the first time you get to name it right and so there are things called like slave fingers and different like yeah, like all sorts of really offensive yeah, like things. Yeah. And so there are a couple of articles that have come out and there are people that are trying to rename and there's a movement to rename some of these. Um, you know, obviously for a long time, indigenous people that um found this land either to be sacred to live on or to um have sacred um rights on have been erased from it. So you you know, now you have apps like Whose Land that um sort of tells you like this used to be. Um, or this is Catawba land. This is Cherokee ah, land, right? Because those people still exist. We like to pretend yeah. that indigenous people don't or that we've wiped them all away from disease and all of those things because it allows us not to think about um, the history of space um, and America's role in trying to decimate a people and a culture, mm-hmm. um, which which happens time and time and time again. Daily, uh, in it, fact. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think yeah. about Japanese internment, you think about, um, you know, yeah. indigenous people being put on reservations. You think about the electoral violence happening against black people. Right. Like it just keeps happening. We just think, especially if it's not happening to us at the moment. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Right.
0: You know, well, like you said earlier, none of this is actually new. Right. And it's just it's just kind of restarted, re-over, redone, just like renamed. It just loops rename yeah. just loops right. over again. Yeah. Different generation, different people, different
2: era, but same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's like the first part of it is like that is very much that sort of conquer culture mm-hmm. is packaged and it's slick. It's cute. It is. It gets lots of like it's yeah, gets it makes lots you feel of good. like on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. You know, you see this feel person powerful. on top of a mountain. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just like wow, look at this landscape. Mm-hmm. Look at what they've risen above. Look at what they're on the top right. of. You know, and so like we love those shots, like just the imagery and what it symbolizes. Mm -hmm. We like that. And so when thinking like I think very deeply about place and connection and you were asking about like how do people that don't necessarily have a bond with the land that, you know, because I come out of this sort of um, this region shaped me sort Mm -hmm. of thing. um, Part of it becomes and right now I, I am fascinated feels like the wrong word but fascinated with like Colorado because it always tries to kill me and I'm like have I how do I like how do I um continue surviving this place right and like what does it have to teach me so I've had like um it's like a very severe version of altitude sickness where Ah, um your brain swells so I have a friend that lives at like 12,000 feet um and I am from sea level so that's 12,000 feet more than I'm used to. Wow. Okay. Very different. <laughs> yeah, very, very different. Um, you know, and so I get the headaches and I try to hydrate and kind of compensate for this thing. And, and like one of the best, most vulnerable essays I ever wrote, I wrote up there when I thought I was going to die. And I was like, we wow. should probably not do this very often. But like, <sighs> this is something that was obviously in me that I was ashamed of that I needed to deal with um, that I had not dealt with in some way. So you don't necessarily want to, have that type of relationship with the landscape obviously i've been doing this for 30 years <laughs> you're so like, like, like a method you're like
0: a method writer right
2: yeah and so yeah well because my body and my name are all that i have right mm. like I, that's how i look at this and that's why i try very hard to stick to the truth and that's why i try not to lie in my personal life even like mm. little white lies and things like that because yeah my, putting my body on the line for all of these stories is my job and my name is everything
1: when right, i have right, nothing
2: right. else those are the two things like if they take my house if they take whatever this is this is what i have um mm-hmm. but you know in terms of finding this place i'm like where w- in terms of finding sort of a place that you can relate to what are you curious about mm. you know where have you always wanted to go you know what does that say about you what happens when you make it there how does it make you feel um you know some of it is is that if you have the capacity to take a trip to build these sort of nature experiences you know, and sometimes I live through what I see on Instagram. There are some flower fields that I cannot wait to get into. Yeah. Because it looks so peaceful, right? And sort of like this idea of like what imagery stirs you and why, right? Yeah. How can you find those sorts of things close to where you live? So, I mean, I love flowers and I feel like that is like embedded in my DNA. My grandmother was a flower lady. She gave me my first carnivorous plant, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And so I love the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. I don't even live in Georgia, but I have a membership to the Botanical Gardens (laughs) because like it gives me that feeling of being in a flower field. Like I can't get to Amsterdam right now. I can't get to these beautifully curated, you know, Japanese gardens and things of my fantasy. But like this is somewhere that I can go that's relatively close. It's about six hours round trip and just be for a little bit and watch the Mm. seasons change and watch how I'm changing at the same time. That's so sometimes beautiful. that can happen in your city park. Sometimes for people that will happen through their kids and what their kids start discovering and their relationships to them. So there are many, many ways to do it. Um, and some people keep a journal of it. I'm not good at that because like, I just don't. I'm a writer. A friend of- yeah, that's what I was like. I write, I write all the time. So like, I take a lot of photos. Right. I take like 400, uh, like, especially if I'm on assignment or if I'm like out t- doing a walk with flowers or something, I'll take three or 400 photos. Like easily. Wow because it's a very different um mechanism of storytelling for me and understanding and documenting yeah. for me because I'm a writer. So, right. you know, but like my friends that are poets keep observation journals because it's a very linear different type of mm. writing for them. So, everybody's going to have their way of engaging with this thing. And you know, for some of my friends that are much more into their physicality, they'll take a yoga mat out and they'll sit and they'll be like where is the tension in my body and how do I let go of it through listening to this bird song or listening to this there's a lot of ways to do it you just have to find the way that works for you and, mm-hmm. and that's just like starts with knowing yourself and or trying something.
0: so every answer is just like I gotta like pause and I gotta like take it do in a little prayer <laughs> <laughs> what? so good I'm just
2: telling you what I know like I don't know I just I try to live it I try to yeah. live it, and then I try yeah. to articulate sort of what I've learned of all these years of hard living and like I mean, I won't pretend that I haven't had some. They're hilarious now. They were hilarious then, actually, too. So I got stuck in my hip, uh, up to my hips in quicksand one time. And I was like, oh, my God, at least take a picture. Nobody's going to believe this. This is going to be such a funny story. And I did. And I lost my boots in the quicksand. I got out of it, though. Oh, my fresh. I mean, it's amazing. And it's just like, welcome. welcome. And my trail name is Indiana Jenkins. Um, Yes! and And it's because, so I've been, like, stuck in... I've been stuck in quicksand three times
1: wow I love that
2: yeah and so one of my friends i you know says this I'll I'll do it wait can I curse I can't remember but yeah so that's kind of one of those things one of my friends is like god this bitch could find quicksand anywhere (laughs) (laughs) that's how I got my trail name um so yeah I was like you know there's, there's a little bit about it and I'm like oh you know for a little while I had like a fear of like wet marshy spots I'm like is this quick sand? no it's just mud I still don't like water crossings because of it so you, everybody's got their thing where you're like oh I feel squeaky about it and then you do it and it's fine right and right. like nobody dies from quick sand. like they truly <laughs> don't it's super embarrassing and inconvenient and very very dirty but like that's what one of those photos in the google drive actually that I sent you it's like literally me wearing like a gray shirt. And it looks like I'm in like dirt up to like my knees. I'm in quicksand. Huh.
0: Uh, all right. I'm going to find that one. It's Interesting. Really
1: yeah, so that I'm might be the photo that we up. post to promo the show. That, that might be too good to pass up.
2: <laughs> I, I'm not upset about it. I, I think it's funny because like, I mean, those little moments happen. I had a friend and she was like out camping. Her name is Jenny Russo and she runs Unlikely Hikers. And she and her partner had gone for a hike. And it was like a little bit windy and they'd set up the the tent, but they'd forgotten to stick it down and the tent was on the cliff and they had to hike back out. It's a really good story. She tells it on her podcast. And like it's just like you like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like right. Yeah, Those that only happen. that only happens, yeah. It only happens to you once. Mm -hmm. happens to you three times because the situation is always different (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm gonna tell myself anyway but you know it's just like you know but we're laughing about it you know what i mean yeah but we're also telling you even though we're outdoorsy with a capital o and we probably like hiked thousands of miles over the years like sometimes it happens shit happens yeah (laughs) well said well Well said. said yeah so you know and having those moments and saying hey this didn't work that time or like warning other people pro tip please take down your tent you know when you do stuff this idea of passing it down to other <laughs> generations it's like i had this amazing trip and i want this for you when you grow up or whatever and this is what this moment of self-discovery look like for me storytelling is so important oh yeah and i wish that we had more of that mm-hmm. um you know and now we have instagram and things like that but who knows in twenty years, just like CDs are now outdated, um, yeah, you know, VCRs, yeah, things like that. um You know, I wonder what will become like. Right now, there's something that I need, and it's only on DVD. And I was like, "Where am I going to find? Like, there's no DVD <laughs> there's, yeah. player on my computer. It, yeah, like, right, what am I going to have to buy a new piece of equipment? Oh, uh, hopefully to not this thing. But yeah, I so know. there's that that idea that like we think we're documenting things in this way, but like where technology will be in twenty years and how right. we understand it and how we hold on to that but you know oral storytelling still has a great deal of power Mm -hmm, right obviously we're having conversations like this on a podcast and so being it not being ashamed to say hey I had this experience that changed my life I also had this funny kind of slightly humiliating experience that I learned a lot from and think you'll find value in too is (laughs) equally as important for me they I mean that's why I told you the Indiana Jenkins thing I could have (laughs) totally kept that to myself It's not printed anywhere. It's just really, really funny. Oh, it is. So, you know.
1: Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Lots of laughs with that one. Speaking of outdoors, uh, what do you think it'll change? What do you think it'll take to change the perception of how people of color relate to the outdoors?
2: I think from, like, especially from the time that, like, I wrote that article in 2018 to now, social media is already changing it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it's changing in real time. When you saw Black Birders Week happen after the harassment of Christian Cooper and then came Black Hikers Week and Black Botanist Week and, um, you know, Black Mammalogist Week. It is like you're able to click on a hashtag now and see lots of other Black faces. And like during, um, it was uh, Latino Heritage Month, which was September 15th to October 15th, right? Like being able to click on those hashtags mm-hmm. and see people of color recreating, you know, with their parents, with their grandparents out in different landscapes, like that whole, thing it start we're starting to see it and realize we can do it and like the information sharing is starting to happen in a way that could not have happened was not happening in 2018 it was starting to happen right but it was not happening in sort of this wave like you can literally tweet out something and be like next week is black birders week and thousands of people show up you know and they get in a zoom room and they have discussions about their you know um relationship to the um outdoors so I think some of it is is that mm-hmm. um, a little bit of it will just be you know getting comfortable it's a lot of it is access mm-hmm. um, and I read about that in this piece you know the idea that Georgia Mississippi a lot of these southern states do not have um, national parks part of it is because this was obviously white owned land and they were not going to tell these white male landowners to get out so that they could make a park it's easier to remove indigenous people out west in places that are less populated at this time in order to do that Mm. So some of it is and then like I'm fortunate Congaree National Park, which is um, based in the Swamp Lands here, as well as Great Smoky Mountains National Park are both free. Oh. Whereas like out west. some Yeah. So certain certain parks cost not yes. a small amount of money. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, like oh. things like that. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. They're, they're not even even yeah. to camp. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and like the idea and I wrote about this in that piece you know uh great Smoky mountains national park was the closest but if i wanted to go somewhere like the grand canyon right my family never made that trip because that trip would have cost thousands of dollars like that is just not something that was ever in our budget as a family that had a farm nobody is taking your farm over for two weeks so that you can go gallivant around the west like it's (laughs) not like you know so you know and my parents weren't even like you and your little friends can do that i just didn't get to do it right Um, you know, so it, it's, that's starting to change now with people doing road trips and van life and some of that sort of, um, stuff. But like, I think part of it is just being able to talk to each other and foster community. And like, now there are a lot of, um, spaces like the Refuge Festival, which is built for people of color to engage in the outdoors and try new things. Um, so there are things like that. Brown Girls Climbing had, um, I think it's called Cragfest where you can go and climb with other, um, you know, Participants of color and learn some things and understand how to do it without this sort of sneering and maybe fear of judgment, right? That comes with like, hey, no, I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time outdoors. How can I do this without feeling like you're also navigating sometimes a race and or regional um, barrier there? Yeah, um, yeah, So that often is is helpful for people. So I think it, it's like the establishment of those things, the support of some of those things um, by corporations is always helpful but like not necessary always. Like I, I have a real mixed feeling because like now a lot of these companies are like, yay, black people. And I was like, are now, you really though? What? Yeah, you know, you know, are you what really? about? Yeah, you know, or they'll, you know, they posted that black box back in June, but couldn't say the word white supremacy. Like yeah. it's always a very backhanded. It's it often, is. I won't say it, I won't say always, but it is often, a sort of backhanded kind of support, or like mm-hmm. a "Hey, we threw some money at this thing." Or convenient, and fine. right? Right. Yeah. You know, everybody's doing it, so you know it's really figuring out what their intentions are, and that in- that burden ends up being on people of color, which I am not really into because we've got mm-hmm. enough emotional labor and stuff on our our um, plates. So this idea of like well-meaning white people, like that's cool, but it, it also takes a whole lot of energy. Yeah. <sighs> it takes a yeah. whole <laughs> lot. <of energy>. Yeah, <laughs> heavy. It does. I feel seen now. <laughs> we're just gonna edit that <laughs> sigh out. Because, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of brain power. Well, because I so um I am a contributing editor for outdoor retailer, which is a trade magazine and outdoor rec. Um I'm the only black editor for Ooh. that publication, but I am like one of maybe two black editors in the entire outdoor space. And we're talking 27 million plus readers. Really? And that's so there are a lot of discussions that you have there's a lot of um yeah there's a lot of tone deaf things that happen that you have to try to navigate to so there's a lot there and you have to know that you know that you know that you know what right. you're doing um because your child and I have a great like everybody on staff with is dope like they mm-hmm. helped me put together a black excellence issue Ooh. and I hired all black writers all black photographers like the whole thing like it was it was amazing And so, like that is it's it's not the people that I work with that are the problem. It is the power structure structure that we're all bumping up against Mm -hmm. that is the issue. So I just want to clarify that. But yeah, there's there's not, and that's why the imagery and iconography in this area is so white and so of a certain variety. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Right, right.
0: Well, I mean, you did talk a little bit about how social media is really helping. you know, how people of color relate. And I think it is also creating more visibility for people of color. But is there, how can we achieve more visibility for people of color in the great outdoors?
2: I, my like simple answer, because we've talked about social media in some ways is just, just live your life, document it and share it with the people you care about right mm-hmm. like that's you know and sometimes people are going to be like i want to go to there like there's mm-hmm. so many things right um because i'm a little bit of a recluse um <laughs> and social media is a little i don't know it, it t- sometimes takes it, work. Makes me, it takes work but it also makes me anxious because i'm like what if enough people don't like it like it becomes an external yeah. validation right thing mm-hmm. same sometimes so i just like sometimes i'll just send my pictures to my friends and be like look at these clouds today aren't these clouds cute you know or whatever like i'm thinking of you take a break for yourself Here's your 10 personal 10 moments of Zen. I was thinking about you sort of thing. And like some days when I'm struggling, they're doing it for me too. So like the visibility doesn't always have to be in this public way. Sometimes it's just ah. for your friends, for your family or like that engagement doesn't have to be for like national or international attention, I love right? That. It can just be for your circle, for your people, yeah. um, you know, and you sort of heal and develop that way. Um, and you 're visible like your your friends see you. they see what you 're trying to do, and they 're supportive of you and they care about you and they love you and like here 's a little thing like one day I went for a walk in the garden and I just took this selfie, and they were like, "You look really happy and I was like, "Just for today, for this hour, I think I am because i 've just been wow. having a really hard um time emotionally with a lot of things and but like that was their way I was like i 'm taking this selfie, and right now." Like, even if it's just for the hour until I have this reentry anxiety when I go home, I'm okay. I love that. I also
1: love that you, you've, you're you taking us back to a time where if you, if you didn't post the photo on Instagram, did the memory ever happen? Like, that time seems right. like so long ago, but it really wasn't.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And okay. just sharing these intimate moments with friends or loved ones is enough to feel seen. And I do think that sometimes we forget that because we live in such a highly connected, highly visible on the internet, uh like. So, thank you yeah, for, yeah. for that moment of nature mindfulness.
2: Thank you. I'm still struggling with it too, as like this, like my profile sort of blows up, like in terms of the way my life is changing as a writer. Like, it's, I'm grateful for it, but it's one of those that, like, there's this expectation to sort of always be around on the internet or posting yeah. or like, all of oh, that. Yeah, I don't so like, I'm that. Just very like intensely private and because i write so personally about some things i want some things to be for me yeah and just for me and i don't know especially with the monetization of social media that that gets to be the case Mm -hmm. um and so i'm still i'm very much still grappling with that but you know that's also why i lean very hard into to my friends and sort of support
1: Come on, Latreya. You've got some successful vibes coming off of you. We are very happy for you. But I understand that that grapple 100%. But honestly, congratulations, because your work is kicking fucking ass all over the place. So thank you.
2: It's weird to see. And I wrote about this on Instagram, like because I have grappled with my body so long. I mean, you you see you all are watching, looking at the digital version of this. But when this article came out, one, Aisha McGowan was on the cover. So a black woman with a afro that's a right. cyclist. And then you open up the inside and one side is my title. The other is a big fucking picture of my face, cornrows, big nose, that one Love side it. of me in the field. Yeah. And so like yeah. the September, October, 2020 article that I just wrote called Nobody Can Hear You Scream. It's again, the title and a big picture of like my Negro nose and my purple hair. And like, you know, this big, ch- like, I was like, my big fat queer face is all over everything right now. And like people have like it the, the article, the second article is doing wildly well. And my friends are like, oh my God, here's a picture. I opened Mozilla Firefox and you're staring back at me. Yes! And that's Woo! weird. That is like, it's a major like high moment in some ways, but it's also this weird sort of doubling of identity and like staring at yourself and taking up space. that mm-hmm. I'm not sure that like as a black woman, as a queer woman, as a fat woman, I've ever had the chance to do. Mm-hmm. Or right, really, oper- yeah. And so it's a little bit of like, you know, um, I never thought that I would be here and it's really interesting to see myself here. But like with that comes great responsibility and digging yeah. into some of the like very hard work of both keeping myself healthy and like continuing to tell these types of stories. Right. For sure, for sure. Ooh,
1: getting a little period. We're very happy for your <laughs> success. Like take up yeah. all the space because you've earned it and yeah. you deserve it. And we need more people like you out telling these stories. So take up all Definitely. the fucking space. Uh, to round out this interview, I'm going to ask, uh, and you've done this throughout the episode, but I'm just going to ask you one last time: What advice would you give to our listeners who want to get out into nature, who want to create a relationship with the outdoors, but feel held back or afraid or like it's not for them? Like, what would your call to
2: action to them be? Yeah, um, you know, and I I did say it before, but I was like, just give it give it two shots, okay. right? Before you decide that it's not for you, just really like give it give it a chance and see what you noticed and see what you learn both about the world that you're inhabiting at the moment and about yourself right and then I don't know if you guys can see it so um this is not anywhere else but right now but like so I got these tattoos for my 34th birthday I was and like, spotting so, them I was yeah, like wait I didn't so, see yeah. them
1: in the other photos that you and no Britain
2: yeah so like these are these are fairly new I got them in August um, and so I have I really do like my hands are my tools and I needed reminders for myself as I was working through, you know, um, this essay that just came out and, you know, the death of Ahmaud Arbery and this concept of black respectability and who I who I was, who I wanted to be and everything that happened in the death of John Lewis. And he died July 17th and my birthday is in August. And so I got his motto, good trouble um on the sides of my hands Ah, yeah and then um i got magnolias so this is the first tree i ever identified when i was a little kid and my parents um when they were looking at buying my childhood home um you know they before that they bought me these world book encyclopedias and i was going through them for botany and all of that sort of stuff um you know and i pull up to this house and the um tree is in bloom and i go mommy mommy it's a mongolian tree (laughs) and it was like it was a magnolia tree but no one had ever said the word to me right but like I so it was like I was close yeah but I I I was close but no cigar on that one and so it was magnolia I know my mom tells this story at every publishing party I take a very different tree (laughs) right you know I was like one that one that is like uh fantastical and doesn't exist but like mommy this is a magnolia tree so like the idea of keeping myself rooted in home with these is, mm. is these, but like on my forearm, it says, I know you're scared, do it anyway. Mm. Um, and that's a line that's in this 2020 outside piece. And like, I, I just heard in that, like, I say that to myself all the time, wow. um, you know, I'm yeah. diving on um, sunken slave ships and so I'm terrified of water and current and don't think that i have the skills to do it mm. and like i'm terrified to get myself into a lot of reporting situations that i find myself in but i do it anyway <laughs> right, right right but and so right, like that's great. like you know i i write that in in this piece is like i know you're scared do it anyway because you never know who you can be when you come out on the other side of it and i've never right on. it so that like sounds i when i i show you these tattoos It is because I want people to understand that I am not advising them to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Mm. I am not sending lambs to the slaughter. Like, I am scared to go to these places, and I go anyway because I'm always better for it. And I hope that you will do it, too, even though you are at times scared because you deserve all the joy and adventure and happiness and wonder and self-discovery that everybody else gets that that doesn't have this barrier. Yeah, And so anything that I can do to help people get that, I really do try to do it. And that's why it's written on my body. I love that. Uh, So I was like, that's permanent. Yeah. 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 So that's, um, that's, that's a big one, you know, and just do try to be as prepared as you can, you know, take the 10 essentials, you know, which is like water, food, you know, one of the small space blankets, let people know where you're going, you know, don't just kind of wander, you know, off or something like that. So like different, you know, those those basic safety things. But you know, most people know to do those things Mm because you can find them on Google. But the thing that is really holding us back is ourselves. Yeah. And so just give yourself permission to try. Because I think as people of color, we don't get that very often, right? We get one chance at this. There are no do do overs. Yeah. Um, yeah, You know, and just know that this doesn't have to be a thing that you have to worry about in that way.
1: Praise. You're doing the Lord's Beautiful. work. Imshallah. hundred percent.
2: Um, okay. So are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh my God. Yes. I like I knew this was coming, but I don't know. Okay. We're just going to do them. There's no wrong answer.
1: <laughs> There's no wrongs. Yeah. Okay. First question. What's your favorite outdoor activity?
2: Oh, in the right conditions, snowshoeing. Okay. What's your favorite camping meal? Uh, Good to go has this chicken pho that's really good. Ooh. Um, with this little like powdered lime packet that you can put on it. Yeah that stuff's pretty good, wow. where, Like, you know, it's cold. It's like 30 minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say hot night. soup. So, yeah. So that's what I was gonna say. Like, I I have to go, I think I have to go with that one. If and if not that, it's like Mountain House's chili mat. Like I'm really Ooh. a hearty Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm going to pack more soup for Burning Man when I go because it gets cold out there, too. That's really dope. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Good to go. Makes them really good. I like their oatmeal, the granola, like just warm, like dense, like will keep you full with one pouch because there's nothing like that hiker hunger. Oh, my God. When you've been outside, because people get it, too, with extreme activities after you've run a half marathon, which is like my distance of choice. I will eat my way down, yes. you know, down a menu. But Absolutely. that same thing happens when you're hiking sometimes. And I was like, ooh, girl, this one packet might not do it for you. Like, make sure you have some extra. So, yeah. So, like, I, I have to have something that's got some, like, oomph to it. Um, yes. But also Mountain oomph. House's chicken and biscuits is pretty good, too.
1: Ooh. Yeah.
2: So, hey. that's good food. I can't get my family. I'm Southern. Like you cannot hand my family a Cliff Bar and be like, "Ooh, girl, we're right. going to do 11 miles." <laughs> like you have to like the food, real has food, to be good too. Yeah, and I'm I'm that way. Like I can survive on a Cliff Bar, I cannot survive without water. Like I become a whole different person mm-hmm. um, because I drink a lot, and mm-hmm. so like that's that's kind of my my thing. But yeah, like good food definitely can make or break an experience. Okay, favorite book? That's like asking me to choose, like you know my favorite puppy or something <laughs> like I had a feeling a really yeah <laughs> I know that's a really really hard one um I can tell you what I'm into now That works um yeah so the death of Vivek um OG um by Awaki it's A K W A E K E E M E Z I um they're Ooh. fantastic um it, it's a good book if you're you're into sort of literary fiction um that's amazing. I'm into Nikki finney's if you're into poetry, um, her love love child book that came out earlier this year. I work as a book critic for the Atlanta Journal Constitution too. So like I read all the I told you the hustles were real. So like I write about art, I write about food, and they're like, what don't you write about? And I was like, I write a- I don't write straight in a straight line about government. I write about policy, but like anything other than that is pretty much like on on the um, you know amazing wow so, you're then, amazing uh, what is it i want to make sure i get the name of this one right um the beauty and breaking by michelle harper man that intro just blew my mind i mean she starts at like a break like a straight sprint and she can't maintain it no one can maintain a sprint for 300 pages but the way it starts is incredible and i i was like oh i'll just kind of you know look at this and i was like oh no i have to read this whole book huh. so it's, it's amazing so i wanted to make sure i got the that one right and that one is uh, a memoir. So you've got your creative nonfiction in there, too. So I've covered uh, most of the
1: fiction, poetry I mean. and creative nonfiction. OK, we've got yeah. choices. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. I know that you're a food writer, so I'm going to be very specific on this next question. You have one more meal on Earth before your time is up. What's your last meal on Earth? <laughs> no restrictions.
2: However you want to it out. I was like, "Do I get the five courses? You uh, want them? Yeah." So, I mean, listen. Uh, so, I've been trying to think about this, and you start with the cocktail. It's called Six Grey Horses from the Kennedy here in Sparmer. You got it. You got to start with your drink, okay? So, this is like to go to go with this first one. It's got chamomile in it, and it's just a great <laughs> sort of alcoholic beverage just to get you just to get the vibe right, okay? A little bit um, in terms of appetizers i mean i am very simple sometimes and just really good tomatoes with salt and pepper i don't Ooh. have to have i don't it doesn't even have to be a tomato sandwich or anything like that I just love like that. straight tomato Ooh. um and then probably crab rice as my main dish yum um, which is like wow. a peachy sort of yes. uh thing here um you know my sides i gotta have some greens they can be sauteed somehow with a little bit of what we call it's called chow chow and it's like a sweetened pepper relish that we make here um yeah and i gotta have some sweet potatoes Mm. like just even if they're just roasted on the side to go with the crab rice and greens or perhaps
1: that sweet potato cake that i know that you publish on the kitchen that i have made
2: (laughs) yes that touched me in such a deep space because like I mean, when you, like, develop recipes, you never know whether people are going to try them or drink them or like them and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because I did a juneteen like punch for Southern Living, too. And I'm like, yeah, like, the fact that, like, someone's, like, taken this recipe into their home and, like, tried it, just, like, <sighs> sometimes you feel like you're sending things out into a void. <laughs> and, like, you feel less alone when you're like, I tried it and I liked it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, but no, so I think that I would probably do, like, this, peach cake that my mom made several years ago for my birthday as my dessert so I gotta have my sweet potatoes and my peaches is the okay same time. so yeah I mean that would and then you have to end with there's this drink called the lucky rabbit's foot which like again so the Kennedy is my favorite bar in town the guy is from Atlanta that made all the drinks so you have this sort of small town but like big big town taste in some ways and so like I'll... it is literally magic in a glass and it is the best way to end an evening like I will stand by that pandemic no pandemic um favorite drink in the country right now wow um I love it yeah so and I mean and again this is me going to 30 plus cities um you know at a time it is like there's nothing like going home and being able to go to you know get a really good drink Mm -hmm. at at a bar because like I, I would not have associated this place with that And so I'm I'm wowed by it every time. Just because like this was a one horse town, was a small place um, that was sort of devoid of its own voice when it came to food culture for a long time, um, because chains have infiltrated it. So, but now there are some really interesting, unique people doing some fun things here um, and using the region as sort of the the baseline inspiration.
1: Next time we're in South Carolina, we will pay and we are going to dine with you. We're letting you take us out to your favorite places because you know where to
2: go. Oh my god. there's yes. I was like, I can eat my way through the state just about anywhere that I go. I love it because I'm always in like I drive the back roads instead of the interstate so I can like look for barbecue pit places mm. with smoke coming out of them. Ooh, cause, like, that's how you know it's real. Like right. a lot of barbecue right. places have switched to gas. right? And so like I don't want to eat at a gas like gas does nothing. You know, you need right. the, wood, there's you there's right. the flavor you need. Yep. And so, you know, I'm always kind of I'm always peeping. Okay. I mean, my family knows I'm bad for that. I'm like, ooh, we gotta stop here real quick. I, was like, I, know, we, I, love that. I know we're about to be late for this birthday party, but, but I'm just gonna get this plate to go and we'll get back on the road. And what, that, I did that with a friend once. She's like, but we're going to eat where we're going. And I said, okay. Like, I don't understand what that has to do with and? the situation at hand right now. <laughs> okay, what's so your... I, yeah.
1: What's the recipe you cannot stop making in quarantine?
2: Oh God, that would be... So, uh, okay so there's this stuff called chicken bog it's another Gullah Geechee um sort of uh recipe and alexander smalls uh he is from this region he's actually from spartanburg but his family is Gullah Geechee, and he was like maybe the first black opera singer to win a grammy and a tony or something but oh, wow. so, like wow. so it's, he's randomly well accomplished or whatever but he's from here and i've interviewed him a couple of times and i have his new new newish book now um and he's like won a james beard award when i say this dude is like the most awarded like jack of all trades and i'm like is this just a feature of people from spartanburg and (sighs) it just might be but like um so he has this thing called chicken bog and it's carolina gold rice and it's like sausage and chicken and it's got this little they call it a bog because it's got like a gravy to it so it's like chicken and rice with a really really good gravy Mm. um and like when i have company or like somebody's sick or like they need something or whatever i tend to like Make chicken bog part of the deal, wow. um but like because I'm sort of in and out all the time right now, I'm not cooking as much as i I would like to be I was for for a while I mean, I was cooking up a storm, but um, I never got into the sourdough thing, damn, yeah, it was just yeah. not my not my deal Mm-mm. um yeah, I'm trying to think of something else that I was super duper into, but like it was just like my mom is very very picky because she's eating my food all the time which like means she's eating really well <laughs> so she's like bougie this mouth one feels yeah you, you know she's like this one feels uninspired and I was like that's rude you're <laughs> eating better than like 90 percent of the country right now <laughs> don't be that person be grateful and, but like yeah but like she loves hands down when I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna just throw on some chicken box she's like yes wow. eat yeah so like it is it is something that like impresses her her too it's quick to do and it just kind of it's from my region and I love the way it represents. So yeah, that's something I've probably made five or six times. Cause like, I always try a bunch of different things. Like I rarely ever go back to the same recipe right. and I find mm. myself going back to that. one. Okay. What's your go-to music
1: during quarantine?
2: <sighs> okay. <laughs> I have, because I'm, I'm working on something and I've got to, like, do the throwback Southern vibes okay. a little bit. So, you know, I've got, like, Lil Wayne, T.I., that whole mix. Got it. But, like, I, there's, there's that. But, like, I am a much larger baby fan than people would think that I would be. Really? Uh, yeah. Right. So, you know, like, coming out of this, th- whatever people think I am. Uh- and they're like, what? <laughs> and so, but, like, I've never heard an artist steamroll the beat to his will the way that he does off of a song like off the rip or something like he literally gives you eight syllables before the beat ever drops before you know where this is going he is just like it doesn't matter what you think you're going to do around him he's just going to plow over the top of whatever it is to get his point across and i love it he's also just so charlotte in some ways (laughs) i don't necessarily mean that as an amazing thing but he's just he's so charlotte Um, you know, and it's, it's great to see Southern rappers get some shine. You know, there's obviously a lot of Megan, the stallion and, um, you know, uh, Mm WAP happening in of household. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a lot of that, but yeah, I just like, I'm all over the place. Cause I also was like listening to like video games live. Like, you know, that was where they would take the video game music Uh. and set it to a full orchestra. Like I'm Mm -hmm. all over the place. So if I'm like really (laughs) thinking deeply about something, I use music without words. If I have to like hype myself up to work on something, I'm listening to the baby or to my like Southern rap playlist and things like that. And like, I think I'm going to start working on a book and like every title I want to be the name of a different, um, Song, song right by a southern artist so there's ah, some Valerie June there's some beautiful Priscilla Renee there's some M- Misty Elliott like I'm using baby's light skin shit to talk about miscegenation ah, like, you know yeah so like I'm I'm all great. over the place like yeah that's, you know and then I'm using Red idea. Dead Redemption mm-hmm. to Rhiannon Giddens plays the, the guitar on one of the songs so I'm using like Moonlight from that Ooh. and like whether or not any of this stuff will like stay right as a whole we don't know what's gonna happen but you know, I was like, I gotta try it. Yeah. yeah. I gotta try it, see what happens. So, yeah, so I'm really into that right now. And, like, got my list going in the morning. I'm like, Ugh. And I'm wearing my, like, you know, Black Joy and Black Dreams Matter sweatshirt. <sighs> and I get my love it, and, like, yeah, that's how I started the day.
1: Love that. Yara Shahidi would love that sweatshirt. Because I know that she's doing a Black Joy initiative right now. So, Ooh. love that. Uh, what's Yay. your dream
2: travel destination? <sighs> there are a couple... Um, but the one that like feels closest, like a dream that feels almost tangible was tangible pre-COVID-19 is Japan. Mm-hmm. Like i wanted to go climb Mount Fuji. Um, I had a couple of um, cycling trips that I wanted to do um, across several of the islands and things like that. And I just it's so different from obviously the way that I've grown up. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, and so spending some time um, in that space, like that, that was a dream for a long time. And like, it's so close to coming true. I was going to cover the Olympics this year Uh, for work. And then obviously COVID-19 has delayed that. So it's still, it's still a dream destination. And like, hopefully in the next year or two, I'll get it, get there.
1: I will second you on that. How can we strengthen our relationship with nature during this trying time?
2: Just go outside for five minutes and look up at the sky and see what you realize and what shifts and what changes and what the light does to you.
1: Mm. Ooh. So Who are good. your three dream dinner
2: party cats? Tony Morrison. Okay. Mm. Um, my grandmother, her name was, my maternal grandmother, her name was Artie Bell Corley, because um, we didn't get to spend as much time together talking as I wanted to um you know i was very close to my paternal grandmother but did not get to spend as much time with my maternal grandmother um i don't know who my third would be would it not be the baby oh no (laughs) no he is not because he's not gonna eat what i serve that man was (laughs) that man was talking about like he he was a it was an instagram live or something he was like let's go see what they got over here to eat and he picks up a piece of pita bread and he puts it in his mouth, and he immediately spits it back out, and is like, ooh, that's nasty. And that's what I mean by, like, that's Uh, Charlotte. I was like, pita bread has no, like, what was offensive about this? So I was like, you can't, you're not trying to eat, you're trying to play. Um... (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's that's so true. Um, I'm trying to think, because I've got a couple, like, some of them are just, like, living people that I met. The other person would probably be a friend, right? So it would be somebody like Rahawa Hale or my friend Lena Martinez Watts. One of those like, yeah, just writers and intellectuals that like I vibe with that I just miss deeply because I, I'm not seeing people during the pandemic. I'm like going on assignment and stuff. And usually part of the perk of this job is that, you know, when I'm in a city like Austin, I get to kick it with my friends and we like, you know, drink our way down a menu and eat our way down a okay. menu. And right now I'm like, I'm going to draw, you know, wait drive past your house wave at you from the window and leave some sausage on the step please (laughs) disinfect it when you take it inside (laughs) I hope you enjoy yourself you know utilize all wipes just in case you know it's like that's a little bit of 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 what I miss in some ways I just I really that third person has to just be a friend that I like vibe with okay okay Rahara seems like a dope choice so I might say Rahara Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, let's go. Let's go with cool.
1: And then what was the last purchase that you made that excited you? <laughs>
2: um I bought some uh, it's it's so on brand. It's um <laughs> bespoke <Benny. laughs> So, um it's B E S P O K E B I N N Y and she's out of the UK. And I just bought this, like, kente cloth apron and oven mitt set um, <laughs> a while ago. I haven't bought myself anything in a while, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what my, like, self-care purchases that I'm going to do for myself, either weekly or monthly. Like, a box of gardenias or something. Like, I yeah. need something to give me some joy, because the next 60 days are going to be a Ooh. challenge, right? Yeah, so... Um, I don't know what I'm going to do there yet, but like I bought those a couple of months ago, whenever I did the black excellence issue uh-huh. of uh, outdoor retailer, I said that I was going to spend 15% of what I made on black creatives, mm. um, you know, and buying art from them or buying books from them or whatever. And that was one that was just incredibly like frivolous that I love, you know? So I, I think she does like blankets, and, oh, blankets and all sorts of stuff, but yeah, it was really fun. Um, and I, I just love her aesthetic bespoke ninny is what it's called binny b-i-n-n-y
1: bespoke binny okay i'm noting that down sorry i'm taking a moment i'm not texting i promise you but i want to put it in our show
2: notes. yeah you're good i will totally send you the link if i need to
1: please do i would love to drop it in show notes for our listeners yeah okay that's our interview but before we call it a wrap latreya friend of the pod play cousin to us Give us all the plugs. How can our listeners keep up with you?
2: Yeah. Well, I just talked about being a recluse all the time. And then I'm like, follow me on social media. Yeah, exactly. I'm only going to post once a month <laughs> and it will never be of my face. But like, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, my writing, I've started updating that a little bit more. You can find me at latreagram.com. Um, My Instagram is Miss Latreagram. Graham. Um, and then my Twitter is Latrea Graham. Um, I'm pretty, I was like, I'm pretty easy across the board. Um, Yeah. And then also I have um, a newsletter. And so you can sign up for the newsletter on LatreaGraham.com. drop your email in there. And, you know, when I do things like this podcast, it goes out and lets people know, and I talk about, you know, what I'm listening to, what I'm reading, sort of what I'm into at the moment, stuff that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, You know, sometimes I'll say, you know, uh, oh, I'm on assignment here. Here's a photo from this place or a little bit of behind the scenes something that didn't make it into the reporting and stuff like that so it's a little a little way of getting to know me in a way that I'm sort of comfortable with yeah because I I like my storytelling and it's not always super duper visual
1: love that Thank you so, so, so much for doing the Black and Yellow podcast. This has been so much fun. It really has.
2: Yeah. My face hurts from smiling so much. This has been so much fun. Yeah. It's good. That's what we wanted. I'm sorry this was so long, though. No, no. That's okay. We like a
1: good long episode. That means that, like, someone can actually sit and listen to the whole thing as they're driving, walking, or running. Like, like, that's great. (laughs) I hate a short podcast. This is perfect. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. If you want to find us on Instagram, we are on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast. Or you can find us individually. I'm Alana Webster, but on the gram, they call me at Renegade of Fun. I'm Jacqueline Chung-Young on the gram. We're also on Apple Podcasts and
0: Spotify.